You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff. You're listening to Halford and Bruff. The hold, the kick, the win for the Giants. can't be that way towards officials or really anybody in, in life. I'll probably regret acting like that. It's a f- joke. So, you think you're going to f- win anything with this guy? If you, if you talk shit, it's going to come back at you. So. Good morning, Vancouver 601 on a Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, everybody. It is Halford. It is Bruff. It is Sportsnet 650. We are coming to you live from the Kintech Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, good morning. Good morning. Hey, dog. Good morning to you. Good morning. Laddie, good morning to you as well. Hello, hello. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience a Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer. Today, I mentioned we are coming to you live from the Kintech Studios. Jason's here to tell you more about Kintech. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. What's happening on the program, you may be asking. 6.30, Greg Wyshynski from ESPN is going to join us to talk a little puck, as he likes to call it. Uh, he had a sit-down interview on The Drop with Connor McDavid. Oh, asking good, about he, he's good. Yeah, asking good about hockey. asking about getting old and talking about the newer, cooler Connor, Connor Bedard. So we'll talk to Wish about that at six thirty. What? Getting older and then cooler? Also, How no, no, no. Get... Getting older, but then having to talk about the newer, cooler Connor. Connor, how do you Bedard. feel about the younger, oh, cooler Wish? version of oh. yourself? Is Wish getting older? Or is Connor McDavid getting older? Connor McDavid? Oh, we're all we're all because there's older. a newer, younger, hipper Connor. That has oh, surpassed him. I see. Okay. okay. Yeah. I see. I, 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 I thought we were all, I didn't know we were talking about Bedard here. Yeah. There's a newer, okay, sorry. hipper Connor. Connor Every, everyone in the NHL is called Connor anyway. And so. then they're going to have a new one later. It's like yeah. the Corys. They just keep bringing a new one into the mix. So mm-hmm. 6.30, Greg Wyshynski is going to join us from ESPN NHL coverage. 7.30, Eric Erlinson is going to join the program. Lightninginsider.com. The aforementioned Tampa Bay Lightning are going to be here in Vancouver tonight, 7 o'clock, Rogers Arena, to take on your Vancouver Canucks. We'll take a look at the Lightning side of things. They're coming off an OT win against the struggling Seattle Kraken. Uh, 8 o'clock, Brendan Batchelor, play-by-play voice of the Vancouver Canucks, is going to join us. Radio play-by-play right here on Sportsnet 650. Uh, for the second consecutive day, we are also giving away a pair of tickets. Now it's to WWE's Friday night that's right, Friday Night SmackDown, uh, Rogers Arena, January 5th. We're just going to keep it real simple today. We're only giving away one pair of tickets. It's going to the best what we learned. Just put a ticket emoji into the text. You'll be entered into the grand prize contest to win a pair of tickets to see WWE's Friday Night SmackDown uh, at Rogers Arena on January 5th. Uh, working in reverse on the guest list, 8 o'clock, it's Batch. 7.30, it's uh, Eric Erlinson. 6.30, it's Greg Wyshynski. That's what's happening on the program today. Laddie, let's tell everybody what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. Oh, what happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? That- you missed that? What Happened is brought to you by the BC Construction Safety Alliance. Making safety simpler by giving construction companies the best in tools, resources, and safety training. Visit them online at bccsa.ca. We mentioned that the Canucks and Lightning will do battle tonight, 7 o'clock at Rogers Arena. Yesterday, 
The Canucks did nothing, nothing in advance of the Lightning game. They just took the whole day off. Can you believe this? Another day off for the Vancouver Canucks. I I, I thought Rick Tockett loved to practice. I thought there were still details and habits that they had to teach these guys. Actually, uh, this is actually kind of an interesting story because, um, and credit J-Pat for writing this in Canucks Army, uh, Tockett had an interesting remark about the day off that they took after the New Jersey game. And so the Canucks schedule is on Twitter at a Canucks PR account. Now, in a lot of cases, those accounts are just only, they're only allowed to be followed by certain, they're locked, locked. right? Like, so they'll give, you know, Halford and and I permission to follow them because we're media or whatever. But fans can follow this account, Canucks PR, and after that game, it was, you know, yeah. the Canucks have a day off. And the replies to her are like, you should bag skate these guys to go to practice and teach them how to play defense. Um, and Tockett had an interesting comment because they won the next game. And he said, I just felt after that Jersey game, the day off won us the next game. We were supposed to practice and I just had a gut feel. I thought the guys needed it. And they responded, those are the sort of calls that, as a coach, you know, thank God I made the right call because they needed mm. the day off. But was that the, the Minnesota game the next day? Yep. That, oh, yeah. So that was the game where they didn't play for 10 minutes or 15 yeah. minutes, actually. Like, And I actually wondered. I was like, do you know when you, you sometimes spend too much time doing nothing and the next day you try and play sports? Or we have this happen uh, often to our, and I shouldn't compare NHL and Beer League, but I'm going to. Yeah, go for on, it. On, so we'll have like late Sunday night games. And the Sunday guys night will, games are terrible. The Sunday night games, and we'll be like, who else has been watching football all day on the couch and has barely moved? And we're all like, yeah. And I'm like, oh, we're going to suck tonight. It's, it's relatable. There's yeah, certain so the first games period you circle where you're yeah. like, I know that's going to be a bad one. And I actually, I actually do wonder what NHL players do on a quote-unquote day off. And I've heard Rick Tockett say, like, it's not a day to just lie on the couch and eat potato chips. Like, you still need to go move your body. But I still feel like some of those young guys might just, like, watch TV or watch shows or play video games all day. It is interesting, though, to wrap up all this nonsense that I'm saying how teams use rest because Mm -hmm. rest and recovery i think we're all learning and sports scientists are learning how important it is and it's funny how we still get texts uh and comments in from like i don't know people that just like don't buy that professional athletes need the rest they're like these guys play what at max 20 minutes a night uh they have everything going for them uh they have the best food and i'm like yeah but you still need to rest your body sometimes. Yeah, and I think, you know, to take it in another direction, one of the things that Tockett sort of made a reputation for himself, uh, especially in Pittsburgh, was his ability, God, I don't want to make this sound too, like, syrupy and sweet, but to capture, like, the, the heartbeat and the feel of the team. Everyone credited him for being able to build and develop relationships with players. I think the Phil Kessel thing is very well noted at this point. But he seemed to understand where the players were at and how they were feeling. Because there's a lot of old-school taskmaster coaches. After you lose a game like you lost to New Jersey, where, like, you're punished by hard work. You're sloppy. It's too sloppy. The changes are sloppy. Your defense is sloppy. You know how we clean up the slop? We practice. I honestly thought, and I think I said it on the show, I honestly thought that 
at the day off after the New Jersey game was just like, yeah, the NHLPA, you know, part of the agreement says you get this many days off in a month. And I thought that's what it was, but apparently it wasn't. It was Tockett just saying like, I think these guys need a game off. And maybe Tockett was like, I don't want to see them tomorrow. Uh, so let's move along. <laughs> <laughs> to, here's another guy that uh, Rick Tockett might not want to see today or tomorrow, Andre Kuzmenko. Uh, he continued to be in the news yesterday. This time, it was the general manager, or sorry, the general manager, the former general manager, now the president of Hockey Ops of the club, Jim Rutherford, uh, in a sit-down with Sportsnet's Ian McIntyre, talking about the future of Andre Kuzmenko, what it involves from the Canucks side of things in, term, in terms of helping and supporting him, but also... The possibility, and it's just being thrown out there, but the possibility of a trade asked if the team will be patient with Kuzmenko and let Kuzmenko work his way out of his current funk, Rutherford said the following. Well, we'll keep an open mind. I don't just want to lock ourselves into one answer, but we need to continue to try and help him. Yeah, it's basically while he's still here, we'll keep trying him, but or trying to help him. But yeah, I th- I think uh, I think they're you know it's been reported that they're getting calls on Kuzmenko, and maybe some of those calls offer an attractive return. Mm-hmm. They're only committed to him through next season anyway. It's not like he's signed this seven year contract and all of a sudden it's not going so well and they're in this position of uh oh. Right, it's not like they made this long-term marriage with Kuzmenko. If it's not working, and they're having conversations, I imagine with Rick Tockett and going over all the things that he's telling them. Like I've been telling this guy this, I've been telling this guy that, I've been telling this guy this again, over and over and over again. He's still not doing it. What do you want me to do about it? Like you know, eventually. Um, Eventually, you can only help a player so much to do the things that you want him to do before you have to conclude, like, maybe he's just not going to do it. That's that's kind of, I think, where they're at at this stage of the game. Because you got to remember, Tockett had 20, 30 games of Kuzmenko last year. And the big difference was that you could kind of bake two explanations or, dare I say, excuses into last mm. year. And one was, well, Kuzmenko's still in his quote-unquote rookie campaign. He's still learning. And the other one was... You know, it's not that big of a deal if we do this disciplinary process with him because the games don't matter, right? The games matter now. Like Kuzmenko not doing the staples and not doing the non-negotiables or negotiating. I still can't figure that one out. But (laughs) not doing it now could like actually hurt the team in terms of points on a nightly basis and trying to get to the playoffs. I think it's just frustrating for the coach. It's like we've got a plan here as a team. Everyone's going to be on board. Uh, Nobody should get extra special treatment unless you're Wayne Gretzky or something. Yeah. And, you know, Kuzmenko right now isn't producing even on the power play, which he's still on, the first unit power play. So, you know, what is a coach supposed to do? Just keep giving him special treatment? Say, like, okay, guys, these are all things that we've got to do. We've got to forecheck hard. If you're F1, you got to get in there, right? Like, there are no negotiables. you got to skate hard. Uh, you got to make good line changes and also short shifts, everyone. We want short shifts because we want everyone to be fresh. Kuzi, uh, you don't worry about it, though. Yeah. Don't, don't worry about it, okay? So, guys, uh, Kuzmenko's not going to worry about it. He, he doesn't have to do that. He especially doesn't have to do that. He gets to play by he's a so good and he's so productive that he doesn't have to do that. I mean, it's, it's, it's ridiculous to think that. And I know a lot of people have an issue with 
how Talkett has been treating Kuzmenko and saying he's not been putting him in a position to succeed, which is ridiculous because Kuzmenko did play a lot with Pedersen early in the season. And then eventually, like, he wasn't producing, it wasn't happening. Maybe some of it was because PD's game was a little bit off, but... You know, the Canucks have still managed to win games when Kuzmenko has not been in the top six. Does anyone have a big problem with Nils Hoaglander and the way he's played with Miller and Besser? I don't think so. He's been great. Does anyone have a problem with how Sam Lafferty lately has been playing with Petey and Mikheyev? I don't think so. I love Sam Lafferty. Um, so we'll see where this goes. Um, I just think Kuzmenko has been weighing on Tockett's mind Pretty much ever since Taka took the job, I still remember the end of season press conference when uh, they'd gone through all the questions and then Taka was like, not into the mic, he was like, no questions about Koozie? Like he thought, he thought because, you know, it had been such a big deal, he thought he was going to have to answer a question about Kuzmenko. So he went into that press conference expecting to having to explain. So this go, this is not about like the last few weeks. Sure. This has been going on for, I guess, almost a year now, right? So eventually you just, you, you, you have to come to a clu- conclusion of whether or not this is going to work, whether or not this player is going to get it through his head. Speaking of things that have been dragging on for a while and now seem to be coming to an end. Uh, the Canucks' interest in Ethan Bear, the Canucks' potential acquisition of Ethan Bear appears to have come to an end. Uh, yesterday, Rick Dollywall, among others, reporting that the Canucks were out on the uh, free agent defenseman who has been skating up in Cologne and has apparently garnered a lot of interest from around the National Hockey League. So now, with Bear out of the Canucks' sights, they turn their attention to other potential uh, acquisitions either now or closer to the trade deadline, one of which Chris Tanev got hurt last night. I don't know if you saw that. 15 mm-hmm. seconds into Calgary's wild loss in Colorado, which had a bunch of stories coming from it, by the way. We'll get in the Miko Rantanen thing a little bit later. Uh, he got hurt 15 seconds into that game on a hit from Ross Colton that wasn't from behind and into the boards, but certainly was delivered with enough force and violence to knock Tanev out of the game. He did not return. That could be a real bad news. What did it look like? Like a shoulder or something? I mean, on on the broadcast, like, oh, Colton got him from the side. I'm like, he also kind of got him a little bit from behind, and he just plowed him in. It looked like a shoulder. Yeah. That's... Tanev went off the ice, hunched over, and it was 15 seconds in. He didn't come back. God, so like, Tanev is such a wimp. I know. You know? He like, should, he should really like, take more physical abuse. Like once in sport. a while, just sometimes you got to accept the pain of the game, right? Like, so wow. the rumor mill was like, oh, man, we can't acquire one ex-Vancouver Canuck in Chris Tanev. How about we get another one <laughs> in Jalen Chatfield? Yeah, Rick Dollywell was talking about... Uh, Jalen Chatfield, uh, you know, we all remember Jalen Chatfield, right shot defenseman. And I remember when he was playing at his best in Vancouver, people were saying, yeah, he's got attributes of of Chris Tanev, right? Uh, He's not going to score many points, but when he's playing well, he's good defensively, good in his own zone, and can get the puck going in the right direction once he's got it on his stick. Uh, You know, Dolly Wall was talking about uh, how... You know, he's certainly potentially more affordable than Chris Tanev. Mm-hmm. You know, if the Flames trade Chris Tanev, even as a rental, they're going to be expecting a significant return. I don't know if they're going to get a first-round pick, but it's going to be something significant. Now, I have no idea uh, if the Carolina Hurricanes even want to trade Jalen Chatfield, right? Like, I, I don't know. He's playing, like, 14 minutes a night. But yeah, Brendan Moore likes him. Yeah, right? So, Speaks glowingly so, about Jalen Chatfield. Uh, so, I don't know. Dollywall uh, went on a um, 
extended, not a rant, but he was talking about Jalen Chatfield and how he's saying, um, you know, uh, that Rod Brindamore himself was on their show raving about Chatfield's size, speed, skating, and skill uh, in that Chatfield as a pending UFA. So he doesn't have the term issue that Ethan Bear would have, and he's not making very much money at all. So uh, I, I, I don't I don't know where Dolly Wall is getting this Chatfield stuff, he but... I don't think he's he's not doesn't he's typically told you know something or other, but uh, I don't know if Carolina's looking to move Chatfield or if the Canucks have just been calling and trying to acquire him. But this is another guy maybe we should keep an eye on because if the Canucks don't get Ethan Bear, you know I I know they already got Zadorov, but I still feel like they're looking at their blue line and going mm, needs to be better. Um, okay, let's move on. Before we get into the Tampa Bay side of things, we're going to touch base with uh, Eric Erlinson, lightninginsider.com, uh, in the 7.30 segment to preview tonight's game. Uh, I do want to whip around a, real quick to a couple of the scores from Monday night in the National Hockey League. Two in particular, a uh, lot of stories emanating from, by the way, the New York Islanders are now kind of on fire. They beat the Toronto Maple Leafs. In overtime yesterday, 4-3. So the stories from this one, one, John Tavares gets his 1,000th NHL point in his former home in front of a lot of booing New York Islanders fans. And that was a story into itself. But it was it was an old friend, Bo Horvat, scoring the winner 46 seconds into overtime. Don't look now, but the Islanders are 13-7-7, 5-0-1 in their last six. Here's what it sounded like, Bo Horvat with the OT winner against the Leafs last night. Barzell charging back the other way. Got Horvat with him. Bo Horvat scores. Game winner. New York Islanders. So I know there was a lot of hand wringing about uh, John Tavares getting booed by the Islanders fans um, as he got 1,000 points in the NHL. Yeah. And I don't know what. A lot of media expected New York Islanders fans to do to be just like put away their sports hate for John Tavares and be like, you know, you have to admit a thousand points is a heck of an accomplishment. Well done, John. I take my hat off to you, John. You know what? Um, <laughs> I, I, it's, it's hard to put myself in the shoes of a guy like John Tavares. It's very hard. because, But I have to say that I think there would be part of me if I was a professional athlete that would love to get booed by a fan base. To love to get that sort of attention. Yeah. Like, wouldn't that be fun? I wouldn't think, that be fun to be hated? I think, I get what you're saying, 100%. It may be a little bit different when when it's coming from your old team. Right, this right? one's different because he's like, you guys used to like used me. To, yeah, I but was, like... I was a god here in Long Island. I was more popular than Tommy DeVito. But, <laughs> like, I don't... But couldn't you embrace it a little bit? Well, if you're... Well, look, if you're the guy that's getting booed because you're constantly burying a team, I think you would love it, right? If, if, if the genesis of the sports hatred was solely about you killing one particular or maybe team. you're you're kind of like a rat type of player and you're trying to agitate for sure and like, right you've you done know, something yeah. dirty in the past you sucker yeah. punch one of their guys and that's and, just that, that that's the type of guy you are right yeah. like, like you I'm, might you might love that or you, like ryan ryan reeves i'm sure loves getting booed right john tavara's right? personality strikes me as the antithesis of being anything extreme like I don't want to be extremely loved or extremely hated. Like it's that's just the way that he is. He's, right. He's got a really sort of blah personality. Called a milk toast. On yeah, that's that's very accurate, yeah. right? Like yeah. he came out of the womb like spitting cliches, and he was mm-hmm. just ready to play hockey. Is right? he a that Hall of Famer? It. That's a good question. I I I don't know. I know that's not the hottest sports radio take. I would say at first blush, no, because there's no real. 
He could get like, to 500 cat- goals if he. But there's no real catalog. The of indi- there's no catalog of individual accolades. No, I think he's a Hall there, of Famer. There's zero. But boring career. He, he's won no trophies. Yeah, exactly. Played in no finals. Like it's just what a weird, he had one boring, chance, long. Career. He had one chance to win a scoring title, and he lost it on the final day to Jamie Benn. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he might find his way in though. Because of like, like by buying a ticket, no major no, no, no. rewards though. Because, Zero. I, I know, but like he's just uh, because he was such a phenom growing up in Ontario. Like his story's um, kind of interesting. He does but... have an Olympic gold medal. He was on that Sochi team he in 2014. Play. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't know. It's a tough one for me. Alfie's tough... in there, and he's got similar numbers. Right? Well, at least yeah. Alfie went to a Stanley Cup. At least he went to a, and he's a Calder Trophy winner, which mm-hmm. Tavares is not. What's yeah. the furthest that Tavares has gone in the playoffs? Just the second round? No, how far do you go with Tavares? Uh, how far do you go with the I Islanders? They made a conference final run one year, but I got with a Tavares check. his last year yeah. there. I think yeah. he didn't score the OT. But I got to double check on that. Right. But well, regardless. Um, Someone, someone's that, that, sending JT is definitely not a Hall of Famer. I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't, I wouldn't speak in that. finites, dear yeah. listeners. I would not speak in uh, finites. His career isn't over. You know who might make the Hall of Fame now is Bo Horvat. Five goals and six <laughs> assists in his last seven games. Guy's on fire. Uh, will Miko Randon one day be a Hall of Famer? I don't know, but he dropped the Hall of Fame quote yesterday. and actually overshadowed what was a pretty crazy game in Colorado. So the Calgary Flames go into Colorado. They lose Chris Tanev early. But everything's going great going into the third period. They're up 5-3. Half of the third period's gone. It looks like they got this one under control. Then out of nowhere, the Avs score three goals in the final nine minutes and 40 seconds of the game. So not only does Calgary blow the lead, they don't even force overtime. They don't even get a single solitary point out of this thing. Here's what it sounded like. Nathan McKinnon wrapping things up. Late in the third period on the breakaway, Avs win 6-5. Belfian, Kale, swings it around for Rantanen. Fired ahead, Val. Gets it up to Kennedy on the breakaway. And shoots and scores! Nathan McKinnon! So that was going to be the biggest story of the night, without question, right? That's a big win for the Avs in front of their home fans. It's a crushing loss for the Flames, who are trying to right their season. And then post-game, things got super weird. Miko Rantanen, who hasn't had a great start to the season, Avs have been all right. They've been winning enough games to not like be raising major flags. But apparently, Rantanen's lack of production thus far raised a lot of flags in his native Finland. I'm going to play the audio first, and then we'll explain what's going on. Because Rantanen, unprovoked and kind of out of nowhere, took aim at, and I'll phrase this before I tell you who the person is, a Finnish NHLer's dad who happens to be an analyst in Finland and decided to rip Randon. And here's what Randon said, again, unprovoked in his post-game media availability yesterday. It was good, you know, and uh, actually one thing where I got a lot of extra energy, you know, one of our Finnish NHL players' dad was talking shit about the media that I didn't train last summer like I used to do and and uh, he was just making making things up so I think that was that was for him you know uh, if you if you talk shit, it's gonna come back at you so. so everyone in the scrum is just standing there stunned they're like uh what yeah they're like I have not been following Finnish sports talk and then the follow-up question was nothing about those comments I, and I don't on. even blame the reporter because that was so out of the blue so the, yeah, I have a follow-up. Uh, what the hell are you talking about? So the Finnish NHL player he's talking about is his teammate, 
Arturi Lekkinen, currently on the shelf with a neck injury for the Colorado Avalanche. Turns out that Lekkinen's dad, Ismo Lekkinen. Maybe Lekkinen didn't train enough. Yeah, maybe he should have <laughs> strengthened his neck. Um, Ismo Lekkinen is an analyst in Finland for the National Hockey League and I guess the Finnish League. And I, so, God, this is how a current state of my life. At like 11.45 last night, I'm Google translating uh, this Finnish news outlet to see what the hell did he say about Miko Randon? Like, mm. how could he have drawn this much ire that Rantanen brought this up unprovoked? So what did he say? <sighs> Bear with me, please. Okay. So oh, I love translations. He said that I'm going to try and do my best here, okay? <laughs> I know the stream is garbled. It already sounds bad. I'm not trying to make it worse. Our He's, engineers are working on that, by the way. He said that um, Rantanen did not work out enough this summer. He didn't have a good summer, and that's the reason he came into camp not in the proper shape, and that's why he's off to a slow start. But there was more. So there's, I'm not even going to try and pronounce the term and the phrase, but there's a phrase in Finnish that in the literal translation is uh, a cat's christening. A cat's christening, Jason. Now you're thinking, what the hell are you talking about? That classic phrase we all know. (sighs) A cat's christening. I'm just imagining the cat. Okay. Stand still, damn it. They don't like water at the best of times. Why are you putting it on its forehead? (laughs) So... The cat's christening, it's meant to be someone that's an attention seeker. Someone that uh, has self-promotion or visibility at the forefront of their personal life on social channels, essentially. So I guess it would be like, you're so vain or you're so into self-promotion that you christened your cat, right? You understand? I I can kind of make sense of it, right? Sure. I don't, I I still doesn't understand. I still don't understand cat's christening. Anyway, just work with me, okay? Okay. It's meant to be a means. So I guess he was essentially calling Rantanen out beyond the hockey sphere, right? And that apparently drew the guy's ire because, as mentioned, he went out of his way to blast his teammate's father without even being asked about it, right? Like, no one, no one was following the Finnish gossip mill. Like, no one, right? And then this just kind of came out of nowhere. You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff. You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff. It's his friend and bachelor, bachelor, bachelor. Live from Rogers Arena, calling Canucks games. It's his friend and bachelor, bachelor, bachelor. 802 on a Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura Dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in hour three of the program. Brandon Bachelor is going to join us in just a moment here. Hour three is brought to you by Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell and Pound. Visit them on the internet at Campbell-Pound.com today. We're coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find a perfect fit at Kintech.net. You know what I love about being live on the air is that um, some people get to text in, you get to respond to them in real time, right? There's not a lot of jobs on the planet where you get immediate feedback, and feedback, I'm being very generous, oftentimes it's just insults and criticism, but most of the time, you get to respond at the very least. And it's sometimes just the most random stuff on earth. So a texter wrote in, they're like, boy, you guys were sure wrong. And he spelled it Wong. 
Right. That's fine. About the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Called them one of the worst teams in the NFL. Now, one of the other nice things about this job is I get to say things loud and uninterrupted. Tampa Bay is one of the worst teams in the NFL. Dude, they stink. I don't know. I know they have six wins, but <laughs> I've watched their games. They're awful. They play some of the worst football ever. So they could have 10 wins, and I'd still say that they are one of the worst teams in the NFL. Did you say that earlier in the year? I don't even remember I saying think I anything s- about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I, I think, well, I was talking about who's going to win that god-awful mm-hmm. division. And right now... People have long memories. I like our listeners yeah. that way. Like, so, it's like, I'm a big Bucks fan, and I remember right. when those guys said something mean about my team. So to write, And now they're 6-7, and seven, proving everyone wrong. <laughs> Dear Bucks fan, write this one down. They suck. They are one of the worst teams I've seen play football. <laughs> Circle it. It's December 12th, 2023. Let's go to the phone lines now. Uh, we'll, we'll shift gears. We'll talk about another Tampa Bay team. <laughs> the Tampa Bay Lightning are in town to take on the Vancouver Canucks. This man will be on the call. Brendan Batchelor here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. What up, Batch? Good morning, gentlemen. How are you? Uh, we're well. I we, we just actually finished speaking to Eric Erlinson about this Tampa Bay team. Uh, bit erratic this year, out of the playoff picture, but always dangerous when you bring in the likes of Andre Vasilevsky, uh, Victor Hedman on defense, and then, of course, Nikita Kucherov, who is battling neck and neck with Brock Besser to be the, the top goal scorer in the NHL. Yeah, they're, uh, they are a mean piece of business when they want to be, it kind of feels like. And they've been playing some better hockey of late, three wins in the last four games. And it kind of feels like a game that could be decided by who's more effective on the power play because both teams have top five power plays in the league. Uh, they're both in the top three for most power play goals scored this year. And we know that all the offensive weapons on both sides you mentioned Besser. Obviously, there's Kucherov, uh, who, who leads the league in points right now. JT Miller, Elias Pettersson, Quinn Hughes, you know, go go on and on. And the Lightning have uh, tremendous offensive weapons on their side, too. So I think it, it'll probably be a fun game tonight. And Tampa Bay's had a lot of success on the road against the Canucks in recent years. Uh, eight of their last nine road games against Vancouver, they've won at Rogers Arena. So the Canucks will have a, a good test to try and extend their winning streak to three games tonight. Yeah, and it looks like there could be some goals in this game as well when you look at Tampa Bay's collective save percentage. And I hearken back to that game last week against the Devils where there were lots of goals on the table. Maybe a game befitting of Andre Kuzmenko, who scored 39 of them last year. But uh, it's it's a rough go right now for Kuzmenko. I'll leave the floor open to you. If you had to classify or characterize the relationship right now between Kuzmenko and his head coach, Rick Tockett, how would you classify it, Batch? Yeah, I, I don't think it's... I don't think it's gotten as far as being, you know, seriously adversarial yet, but it's clear that there are some areas of Kuzmenko's game that Tockett is less than pleased with, and it's why he's on the fourth line right now, although he has not as of yet, other than the the brief stretch around the time that he was a healthy scratch, been removed from the top power play unit. And that's kind of the the thing that I look at in terms of, they still have some faith in him. They still believe he can be an offensive contributor, and and he's he's still there for now. I guess we'll see if that changes in the coming days and weeks here. But um, you know, it, it's it's a lot of these things that Rick Tockett has termed non-negotiables. Uh, whether it is getting in on the forecheck, whether it is you know making a smart play with the puck uh, to get it deep when you gain the red line and get a change. You know, he, he's criticized Kuzmenko's shift length. At times, and then on top of all of these things that that we know Talkit really wants Kuzmenko to buy in on, the offensive side of the game hasn't come to the to the same degree that it did last year 
for Kuzmenko. And a large part of that for me is he's not around the net as much as he was last year. We can remember the number of goals he scored from right at the side of the net or around the crease on backdoor tap-ins. We haven't been seeing him get to those areas of the ice with as much regularity. And then plain and simply, he's not shooting the puck enough. He's averaging fewer shots per game this year than he did last year. And we already know that he didn't shoot a lot last year because he needed a, you know, a 27% shooting percentage to get to those 39 goals. And he even admittedly has talked about the fact that he has to shoot the puck more. Uh, So, you know, those are all things in his game that you can look at and say, okay, he needs to improve. And if he were shooting the puck more, if he were around the net more, then maybe Rick Tockett would be more willing to live with some of the deficiencies in other areas of his game. Mm -hmm. But the fact is for Kuzmenko that he's not producing and he's not being the 200-foot player that Tockett wants. And that's why he finds himself down the lineup. And I'll be very interested to see what happens with Kuzmenko uh, if Pew Suter is able to come back at some point this week, because I think he's one of the guys that is in the conversation to be a healthy scratch yet again, based on where he is in the lineup. Where do you think they would reinsert Pew Suter? Would they put him on that third line with Garland and Joshua? Because Teddy Bluger, I think, has been doing a pretty good job on that line. I agree. Uh, so that, that'll be fascinating because obviously that line did very well when Suter was there too, and there's more offensive upside from a guy like Suter, so it might make sense to have him play with Connor Garland and try and squeeze some more offense out of that line, but you also don't want to break up a good thing, and I think Bluger has been a a good fit on that line in terms of maybe not so much producing offense, but controlling play and and getting in on the forecheck and, and pressuring other teams and spending more time in the other end of the ice. So Rick Tockett's got options there. Um, you know, for, for a guy like Suter who was heating up offensively, I don't know if I would like him being on the fourth line just because I don't know what sort of opportunities he might get to produce some of that offense if he plays down there. But mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to to see what they do with the lineup because, you know, I, I think there there's an assumption. I've talked to a few people who think that Niels Elmond might come out of the lineup, but at the same time, I think Rick Tockett really likes Oman and what he brings, and he's another one of those guys that can move to the wing when Suter comes back into the lineup. So, you know, I wonder about Di Giuseppe or, as I said, Kuzmenko in terms of guys that might be in the line of fire to come out of the lineup. Did Nils Oman's waiver status change? Is he no longer exempt? I do believe it has. I think once he hit the 70 games played mark. Right, so that complicates uh, things. so it, it does a little. I think it probably speaks to, you know, how good they feel about Niels Oman that they were willing to, to call him up and get those games in for him because I do believe, and, and, you know, if anybody knows better, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm not the expert on things like this, but uh, I believe that he is now required to go through waivers to go down. So that's uh, that's something that, you know, you're right, it does complicate things to a certain degree for this hockey club as they try to manage the roster going forward. And, mm. you know, they do, they do have, um, you know, Mark Friedman on the blue line that I guess they could waive instead if they felt the need to uh, right now, actually, if Suter were to come off IR, they only have 21 players on the active roster. So they wouldn't yeah. have to waive somebody and right away, unless it's a, a cap issue. Um so I, I guess we'll wait and see how they manage things. But that's the other uh, reality of the modern NHL, too, is you're always having to manage your cap and figure out where things are, when guys are coming off injured reserve or going on to injured reserve. But 
Um, you know, Oman, I think he's here to stay because I'd be very surprised if they exposed him to waivers. What were your thoughts when you read the report that the Canucks were out on Ethan Bear? Not entirely surprised, just because I think, you know, they made their move for a defenseman with Nikita Zadorov, and while you could always use another defenseman and always use another right shot defenseman, uh, I think it's pretty clear at the moment who the Canucks' top six defensemen would be if they were fully healthy with Susie back in the lineup. And uh, there may not have been the opportunity here for Ethan Baird that there might have been had he remained healthy and come in and broke camp with the team and signed an extension with them in the offseason. And then we all know the Canucks are tied up against the cap and a uh, right shot defenseman or a commodity around the league. And there are other teams that can certainly use them as well. And this is kind of what I always wondered might happen with bear is, you know, yes, it would be great for him to have a reunion with the Canucks and come back into the fold and, and potentially get a chance to play with Quinn Hughes again. Well, a couple of things have happened. First of all, Philip Heronic has been tremendous with Quinn Hughes. And I think they're probably loath to break that pairing up. So some- anymore and then inevitably when you get to this point of the season other teams are going to have injuries other teams are going to have needs and they're going to have more ability to commit term and dollar amount to you if you're a guy like Ethan Bear and you know that's basically what I think has happened here is uh, he's going to have an opportunity somewhere else uh, likely in Washington I guess it seems where uh, he's going to have a chance to play more have some more term make some more money and try and revitalize his career that um, you know, it's kind of hit a couple of speed bumps here with all the healthy scratches he got in Carolina. And then he comes and has a pretty good year in Vancouver, but, uh, but obviously has the untimely injury at the world championships. So if I'm Ethan bear, I'm looking at an opportunity a to solidify things for a couple of years, get a bit of term and get a chance to play. And I don't know if that pathway was going to be here for him in Vancouver. You mentioned Nikita Zadorov early days for his tenure as a Vancouver Canuck, but four games in, uh, you've seen enough. He played over 20 minutes in the 4-3 win over Carolina on Saturday. What have you seen from the big Russian defenseman thus far? Yeah, I think the biggest thing that I notice is just how much he's raised the floor on what the blue line's capable of when yeah. you don't have to have you know both Friedman and Juleson in the lineup on a nightly basis and have your you know depth tested. And then uh, early on, it seems like Rick Tockett is is keen to have him and Myers uh, as somewhat of a, a shutdown pair, or at the very least, he trusts them late in games to be out in the ice when they're protecting leads because there's at least two games now since Zadorov has arrived where they've looked to him and Myers late in games, trying to hold on to a lead and not uh, Hughes and Hironic quite as much. And uh, that was the case against the hurricanes the other night. It was the case in that game against the Calgary flames, Zadorov's first game, because of course he, you know, was on the ice to send the puck down the ice for the empty netter that ultimately ended up being credited to Elias Patterson. So uh, I think, you know, he, he gives them length as Rick Tockett would say, and, and Tockett trusts that pairing because of the, the wingspan that both of those guys have and the, the ability they have to make things more difficult on teams trying to attack, especially late in games when they're trying to get back into things. And then just a bit of a calming presence back there for the most part. He brings some physicality too. It's a, a nice addition to this Canucks blue line where I think they've got him in a role right now that suits him pretty well. And him and Myers together could have a bit of success here going forward. And clearly they have the trust of the head coach to be out there in some key situations. So that's a positive too. Have you been at all surprised that the Canucks have had a couple of days off during this 
five game homestand. They took they had the day off after the New Jersey game, uh, and then beat Minnesota. And they had the day off yesterday ahead of today's game. I was just wondering how Rick Tocca would handle this because we know that he loves to practice, and he know we know that there's lots of teaching still to be done to this team. And yet, two days off during this five game homestand, I'm wondering if Tocca feels like maybe some of those guys like Quinn Hughes and Philip Hronick need all the rest they can get. Yeah, I agree. Although uh, at the same time, he has taken the opportunity to get those guys rest in particular while he makes the rest of the team practice. Like uh, it was a couple weeks ago, I think where Hughes and Hronick were the only two guys not on the ice at practice and they were being given maintenance days. And then a couple days later, he gave Myers and Cole maintenance days at practice. So if he felt um, felt like the, the need was there for this team to, to practice, I think he probably still would have them out there. But you're right, it's, it's a tough balance, and I think it's always a tough balance for the head coach of this team to strike, whether it's Rick Tockett or anyone else, because their travel schedule is so hectic. They don't get a lot of practice time, but the temptation is always there to practice whenever you get the chance. But I think Tockett has a really good feel for his players that that sometimes they just need the rest. Sometimes they need the day off because, you know, they are are at times exhausted from from everything they have to go through, being out here on the West Coast and all the travel and everything like that. And so, you know, I am surprised that they've had a couple of days off here. And not only, if you look at this last couple of days since the game on Saturday, not only did he give them yesterday off, but it was an optional skate on Sunday which surprised me quite a lot. I thought mm-hmm. he would have wanted a, a full group skate on at least one of these two days. Um, and, you know, I think he's kind of realizing what we've seen from some other head coaches in the past here, which is that, you know, you need to get your guys rest. And at times you almost need to use your morning skates like practices on the day of the game to work through some of these things. And uh, I'm sure that's a tough thing for a coach because they always want to practice more. They've always got things that they want the group to work on, but, you know, I, I think the fact that he's given them a couple days off here is maybe recognition that this has been a tough schedule for them. They have played a lot of games over the last few weeks and that they probably need it going forward. But, uh, you know, I don't envy talking in terms of trying to figure these things out because we always talk about the fact that, you know, when these guys don't get practice time, we see their game slip. But at the same time, if you work them too hard, then their game is going to slip too. So it's it's kind of like a, a no-win situation at, at times. And Tockett's trying to manage it the best he can. And I guess we'll see uh, if the way he's managed it over the last couple of days is effective based on how they play tonight. Do you think Demko gets tonight and Thursday against the Florida Panthers? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm torn on that. I could see them trying to get DeSmith in here for one of the two games. At the same time, you know he's going to have one of the games this weekend with the, the back-to-backs on the road in Minnesota and Chicago. I almost wonder if it might make sense to play Demko both of the games on the homestand and then get to Smith two of the four games on the road trip. Uh, but, you know, I, it wouldn't surprise me at all if, if DeSmith gets one of these next two games. I'm I would expect Demko tonight probably just because they've had the days between games. And then, you know, Demko's probably going to want the start on Roberto Luongo night, especially because they're doing a ceremonial face-off with the goaltenders. So you tend to think that, you know, Demko will be the guy to to be in that game. So maybe that means DeSmith gets a chance tonight. But uh, the one thing we know for sure is that he'll play one of the two on the weekend. And it wouldn't surprise me if he plays 
one of the two on the road midweek next week as they go through the Central Division as well. Batch, thanks for doing this today, bud. We appreciate it. Have a good call tonight. Enjoy the game. We'll do this again next week. Sounds good. Thank you. Have a good one. You too. Thanks. That's Brendan Batchelor, play-by-play voice of the Vancouver Canucks here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Okay, let's do some what we learned here. Uh, I, I'm going to start. Um, and I learned that Shohei Otani's contract, just how it's all structured, is wild. And this is an absolute nightmare for Halford to cover because I don't get it. There's things like escrow. You have to do present value calculations. Um, it was his understanding that there'd be no math on this show, but when you look at Shohei Otani's contract, it's it's crazy. So the Dodgers announced yesterday, they made it official, that they'd signed Otani to a 10-year, $700 million contract. And if you're mm. looking at that, you're like, okay, so that's 10 years, we get $70 million a year, that's easy. No. Um, it was reported that the majority of the contract would come in deferred money. Under the structure, Otani is deferring more than 97% of his earnings. Yep. The deferred money totaling $680 million will be paid to Otani between 2034 and 2043. He's got to wait until he's 40 years old. It's like a trust fund that you can't unlock until you... It's like a movie. Like, I, I wonder, you know, there's a lot of people going like, well, that makes his contract worth less than if he's got to wait to get his money. And yes, that's true. And in Otani's case, I think they've determined the league for the CBA's purpose has determined that the present value is $44 million a year, not yeah. $70 million. But I wonder why he's doing this. The most obvious reason he's doing this and the thing that's being trumpeted by Otani and the Dodgers is he's doing it to help the team so they can add more talent around Otani because Otani wants to win, right? You defer all that money until later on, you kick that can down the road. But I also wonder if Otani's thinking about the tax implications, right? Yeah, that was the big like, one for me. Like he goes, he goes, he gets, he gets paid, you know, not much of his contract. He, he'll he'll be fine because he's making a lot of endorsements. Don't worry about Otani. He's still able to to afford Kraft Dinner, uh, two million dollars a year plus all the sponsorship money that he pulls in. A lot of people have estimated that at fifty million dollars a year. But I wonder if he plays his ten years for the Dodgers and then he's like, I'm moving to the Bahamas, right, right for ten years, and then you can pay me, and uh, I'm not. I'm not going to pay any taxes on that, tax especially being in California, right, yeah. where it's a high tax. Anyway, it's 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 interesting if you like this sort of stuff, and if you really don't care about how the players get paid or anything about them maximizing their earnings or anything about luxury tax or anything. It's kind of like it's a lot of like information that you probably don't care about. You well, just care also, about how many home runs Otani hits. Is this not an incredible risk for him though? Like, what if something happens in the next ten years where he can't fulfill his duties under his contract? Does that? I think like, the understanding was that there's going to be so much money in uh, endorsements over the next few yeah, years. But like, that, yeah, but we, you're still deferring a lot of money, right? I know, but but, he's, but in the in the present, the immediacy, mm -hmm. he's going to have about a billion endorsement deals. When does the when does the making, deal stop? What when does the the deferred payments stop? What year? It's like 2040 something, right? 
2043. Yes. What if he passes away before then? Like, I know it's a... God, this guy... I know it's a really dark conversation, but... Lord. Yeah. But, like, there's things that can happen that will... Christmas hat but you, I could have bought so many more just Lamborghinis. Hear me, hear me out for a second. Like, you, you want to... What do players talk about? They set up their family for life. Yeah, yeah. That money is hanging in the balance now of a lot of things Well, he's probably got insurance correctly. on that, laddie. Like, I'm uh, sure they've thought of that. I know, but still, that's that's a big risk oh, to we, take. We never thought of this. It's a big risk to take for... Yeah, it's such a huge contract. Falling down a cliff. Why did I defer? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we got you know, we, we have had so much more. It's fun. a lot of extra. We for, do for, we do have to, but this isn't nothing. This is just the extreme of baseball because this has happened before. People have deferred money. Most famously, Bobby Bonilla. He's, He's still getting, getting paid, paid, isn't he? Yeah. 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 So Otani makes two million in salary this year. He's the seventeenth highest paid player on the Dodgers. And actually, so speaking of deferred payments, there are retired MLB players that are going to make more than Otani's going to make in the first year. Ken Griffey Jr. is going to make more than Otani. Manny Ramirez is going to make more than Otani. I like some of these questions. What if Magic and the Dodgers go bankrupt? Can you imagine that? Right before they have to pay Otani, they're like, sorry. Magic Magic will tweet out the most banal... Apology ever. He's like, I am sorry for losing all your money. What if, Shohei what if, Otani. what if there's like hyperinflation in the economy and then they pay Otani in 2034? Here's like $50 million. You can buy a cup of coffee with that now. Did you afford all your groceries with that? <laughs> anyway, it is, I mean, I find it interesting how they put that deal together and with how complicated it was, it makes me wonder if the Jays were ever in this, right? right. With all the details that they had to figure out to put that deal together. It feels like Otani's camp was probably mostly focused on getting a deal done with the Dodgers. Give us a moo cow on that. You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff.